sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Hello and how's it? Welcome back to the show. This is Moving Needle Podcast and I'm your host, Andrew Nietling. Thanks for tuning in. This will be the Crank Brothers Race Review. I've teamed up with him this year to bring you podcast episodes that will break down each and every World Cup race. Where we'll dig into the highs and lows and give you some insight into what racing has been happening. Crank Brothers is synonymous with DH Racing. Last year, they celebrated 10 years in a row. Well, they backed it up. So now, 11 years in a row, they've won the World Champs with a Mallet DH pedal. And if that wasn't enough, they were determined to improve the pedal interface for riders. And they spent the last two years developing their own range of shoes. They launched late last year. I've been in those shoes. They're awesome. Hey, and in 2021 this season, we've already seen the likes of Lucas Schur, Bernard Kerr, Angle Suarez, the past world champs, Osin and Callahan and Cami Blanchet. They are in the shoes. And that's just to name a few. Guys, Let's get into this week's episode, and if you, like I said, if you're new to the show, make sure you go back and see the archives where I do more interviews with other riders, industry people, and I'm going to probably branch out into other sports and kind of get an in-depth look into what it takes to perform at a high level. And also, what's interesting to me is when riders retire from their sports, I definitely want to dig into that because I think you can learn a lot in everyday life from, from sportsmen out there, but... I've got hold of Tracy Hanna, who was your 2019 World Cup overall champion. She's since retired, and she's in the broadcast booth on Red Bull TV. So she's definitely got some great insights. It was awesome to have her on the show. So guys, let's jump into this episode. Well, welcome back to the show, Miss Tracy Hanna. It's been awesome hearing you on the broadcast and some post-race analysis. I thought, what better place to grab you for a post review here on the on the podcast and uh, how was Lenza Heider for you? Hello Andrew, thank you for having me. It is really exciting to be chatting about Lenza Heider. Um, for me it was great, it was hectic. Um, everything was all over the place uh, as in area wise but such a great place to be and so beautiful. Obviously Switzerland is one of the most beautiful countries in Europe so yeah, it is a nice setting. They've got that kind of lake in the background. Was it warm enough with the riders uh, using it to cool off or the weather seemed a little bit all over the place? Some light <laughs> showers here and there just to spice things up? I actually don't know of anyone who much really went in the lake. It was not warm, let's say. Um, I mean, I think it was warm for some. I was freezing most of the time. I was getting laughed at by Rob because he said, how are you cold? But it was quite chilly com compared to other places we've been this year. Yeah, but if it gets over about 18 degrees, Rob just can't handle it. He, he, he couldn't handle Innsbruck. He said how hot it was the whole time. But I think for you and I, Southern Hemisphere <laughs> and how humid it is in Cairns, it's, it was, was pretty normal. And uh, it seemed like when you walked the track, the riders are a bit hit or miss, but once they rode it, they seemed to really like a few of the changes and, and some of how it rode. What what did you make of the track and the riders' impressions of it? Yeah, so it was actually really interesting because after track walk, everyone was kind of like, 
oh, it's easy, you know, we've just come from Valdesol, which is one of the harder tracks technically of the season, and everyone was kind of walking the track, got down and said, well, that's going to be, you know, an easy track to ride and we're going to be chilling. And, and even my riders on the UR team were just saying, yeah, it's like easy, it's nice, but that was the first impressions of the track. But after first practice, you kind of seen riders coming back into the pits, like almost like imagine their face as an exclamation mark, like, wow, what did I just ride and why was that so hard? So I think it was a huge difference from track walk to first practice for sure. And was it, it it's, well, I remember it wasn't, difficult to ride so some tracks are difficult to ride and difficult to go fast on then other tracks i say they're not that difficult to ride so easy to get down right yes but exactly that's almost more difficult because you know how precise you have to be you know that you're gonna have to put a near perfect run in and then that becomes more of a challenge because sometimes when it's hard to ride you know if you're going to get down it pretty well without mistakes you're going to do well but here so many more people could do well because more people can ride it fast, etc. Is that kind of the biggest challenge then? Yeah, exactly. I mean, first practice was strange because they come back and they said the track is so slippery. And I said, oh, is it dry, you know, dry and loose? And they said, no, like there's there's moisture coming out of the ground and it's making it near impossible to ride because the dirt is so shiny. So they come down questioning their riding because it was so greasy they could hardly kind of get down comfortably. And then on top of that, one thing that Reese Wilson said was, it feels like you need to be super precise and that it's easy to be smooth, but he said it's actually quite janky and very difficult to find a flow on the track because you go from high speed, low speed, the corners are like nice big berms, and then some corners you have to take the inside, you come hot into the steep section blind. So he said it's actually like quite mentally challenging to find a balance on this track. Yeah, it makes sense. Some tracks have a natural flow, you know, maybe the steep and, and, and finicky and then other ones are foster and kind of like Maribor is pretty fast the whole way down and, and, and it's flowy. But this one has different sections all the way down. Like you said, they sometimes retape a few turns to make it new and those take kind of time to bed in. Then you've got the steep stuff. It looked really good on, on, on the broadcast, I must say. You know, the guys were going fast. Uh, you could see that, you know, Miriam as well. I mean, I must say, uh, the, the ladies' racing is getting more and more exciting, and, and you can see the level of professionalism and, and how hard they're riding. I, I think it's been awesome to watch. So what did you make of, you know, the ladies' race? And, and you're a former World Cup winner overall, and, and things are starting to heat up there. And Miriam's kind of, you know, after winning the World Champs, it, it seems like it's just helped her confidence so much. Yeah, I mean, winning um, the World Chips has really given her this boost of confidence that she just smashed everyone in qualifying. And then people kind of brought it back a little bit in the race. But the um, the women's racing was really interesting because I expected Kemi to do really well. And what we saw from Kemi and other riders was if you push too hard on this track, you lose time the whole way down. So if you remember Kemi's run, she started like super well, super smooth, and she's a very consistent rider, but she just 
underbraked or overturned or let the bike go a little bit too much and because you have to be precise and time your braking pretty well perfectly the whole way down this track she lost time by kind of letting the bike go so it was really interesting to see the difference in riding between the ladies and the men that kind of either gained or lost you time the whole way down yeah she made a huge mistake in basically one of the fastest sections of the track she lost a lot of time and it seemed to unsettle her and then it's a track that look Whenever you make a mistake, as we know, I mean, that time's gone. If you try and make it up, it's normally mm-hmm. not, a, not a great thing to try to do. But there are tracks that you technically could, you know, say, okay, I've made a mistake. I'm going to push it a little harder than I'd planned to. And you can get away with it. You can make up yes. some time. But yes, I agree. Exactly. I think, I think Lenzerheide, you've got to be so precise. If you lose time, that time's gone. The more you try and make it up, and you saw with her, she was <laughs> pushing harder than ever till yeah. the mistake and afterwards. So... It wasn't her usual clean run, which was cool to see from Cammy. Obviously, a disappointing result because maybe she expected more. We all thought, you know, home home sort of race. And, and that's a tough one to perform. But, yeah, I think that's great, great information. And um, I think Valley, it seemed like she intentionally maybe qualified slower or you would hope to think she did to just kind of change being the last lady down. Yeah, so I did wonder with Valley because it puts so much – first of all, she's racing first year like in Elite Without Injury and it puts so much pressure on you to qualify first because, one, you you have that expectation for the next 24 hours. You're the one that has like – you've won quali. So you have 24 hours of of being in that position and you're the one with the target on your back. And then when it comes to race, everybody kind of goes for it. And I think she struggled with the balance between qualifying first and then backing that up with her race run. So she played it quite smart this week by maybe taking it back from, you know, 100%, just bringing it it back a few percentage, riding down third last, and then Valley did an amazing race and she got on the podium and – she got that monkey off her back, which was qualifying first and crashing out in the race. And now I think we can look forward to seeing more great things from her because she's bring it back to where she can control her race run. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, I think intentionally or unintentionally, maybe just backing it down. I think a bit of both. And yeah, I mean, she's had so much pressure and expectation on herself and, you could, I mean, she's clearly got the speed to do it. She did a really good timed run, and but her run was awesome. And she's hopping and flowing. I mean, the talent is clearly there, as we all know. But it was nice to see. She was pretty relieved when she came in the finish area, and I, it would have almost felt like a win for her to get down, number one, a clean run. You know, yep. She hasn't basically had a clean final run in a World <laughs> Cup. So that starts really weighing on you. I mean, that it's not a nice feeling, and you ride super no. tight. So. It was awesome to see her do that, and I think you're right. It's going to kind of – the floodgates should open from here, you know, because she's got a clean run. She's been on the podium now, um, and then she can start maybe riding more like herself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Valley's had for the last two years, she's had this pressure on her that she is going to be dominating elite women's racing. But that's what you see from the outside. That's what it looks like is possible. But when it comes down to your race run in an elite category, the stars all have to align and you have to be on your best form 
to even be in the position to potentially win. Whereas she had this expectation that she was going to come in, she's going to beat everybody and she was going to dominate. And having that kind of pressure on an elite rider to win at the absolute top of their sport is for someone so young, she, in my opinion, is handling it so well and other people would have folded much worse than she has. And to to pick herself up, to qualify third and to finish on the podium this weekend is she's just proving what kind of rider her future holds. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 exactly that. Some riders do come in and maybe do better or maybe, you know, if she'd got a second, a third and, okay, she's she was expected to win, but she had clean runs. But the way, you know, her cards have fallen for her, it's been really tough. You're right. She's is showing a lot of maturity and is forced to show maturity to realize, okay, this is clearly not my path that I expected, hoped, or <laughs> thought I could do, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been... It's forced been rough on for her. her. Yeah, it's, it's so been really rough. rough. I mean, the, it doesn't matter if you're young, old, but when you qualify so well and you can do well and you just don't get the finals run, that's like the unique thing of our sport. I think with a lot of sports, her talent and speed would have come out a little bit better. In in what I mean is, we've only got one run, so she's only got that one run in finals where everyone's looking at that run, but no one looks at okay, you did well in quali, your speed's there. In other races and sports, you have more time. You can make some mistakes, but you have another run. Or it's a tennis match. You've got three to five sets to really, you know, calm the nerves and go, okay, I've got this. And you can fight back. But in downhill, you don't have that chance. Yeah, it's a completely different sport. And you don't just kind of settle into where you fit in the results. Because a lot of the end of the day, a lot of your race run comes down to your ability to handle it mentally. As long as you've done the preparation in the off season and you are a fast rider and you belong at the top, yeah, that's all well and good until you get to race day. Then it only relies on how you handle that mentally. And she's so young. She hasn't had the experience of the other girls. And she's she's learning it all in such a short amount of time that I worry for the rest of the field when she's solid as a rock, resilient, she's been through injury, and then she comes back and she knows how to handle herself. She is definitely going to be one to watch then. Yeah, it's maybe uh, more of a relief that you're in the commentary booth and not having to race her once she f- really figures <laughs> it out. And uh, and she's learning it all on the world stage. You know, there's more media than ever. The, the coverage is great for us all to watch. The internet's got so many good sites you know, and all the people are asking you the same old questions. So it does does get real tough. But a nice run for Tane, though, finishing second. Obviously, she's wanting more, can do more. But she's nursing this neck injury that must be so frustrating. You can see she was happy with it. But it's such a struggle, like having even little niggles like this. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the neck... Um, I don't know if we call it an injury or if it's a... Um, you know when you just you just do something to your body and then something goes out like your back or your neck. So she's had this neck problem, let's say, for the whole season. And, for example, her dad, Tony, was telling me that when she would reach down to pick up something, even this weekend, she just has to use, like, her whole body kind of as a stiff plank to reach down and pick things up. So she is actually really really nursing her neck because if she moves the wrong way twists the wrong way it goes 
kind of out from under her again. So to see her come back and first of all qualify so well and back that up with the race run is really, really nice to see her kind of being able to push through that niggling neck injury and and be I mean it's astounding that she got the results she did with that problem kind of lingering in the background yeah if you think how on top of your game you have to be in the sport and in any pro sport um, you don't want to have any sort of you know things that are taking your mental energy your physical energy I mean she must be worried about it flaring at, up at any stage while she's riding as well you know it's really hard to focus on the job at hand when you've got that that niggle you know in some injuries you can like you mentioned in the broadcast you know some things when the beeps go on and the adrenaline's there you kind of mask the pain but something like this is sometimes more than pain if it's if it's a jarring pull of your neck and it actually then goes maybe into your back all those things are horrible so yeah probably a season she's hoping to forget and and get on top of these these niggles but i mean great great finish for her um Miriam, um, it's so amazing to see her riding so confidently and aggressive. We all know, I mean, without injuries in her career, it, it would have been pretty impressive what she could have achieved. But I think more importantly is her fight and her way to bounce back. Um, it's really inspiring to, to see her. And she's, she's not young anymore, and I don't mean to be rude. I know speaking of uh, girls uh, and ladies' ages is not something you meant to do. But, you know, she's just gone into her 30s 31 and yep. um what an inspiring couple races she's had now yeah i mean that's such a crazy thing with miriam is people are like look at miriam she's like she's she's found her feet she's finally up and coming or up and coming and i'm reminding people before her her ankle injury she this is her this is how she rides you just forgot because she's had those injuries for so long now and we've had COVID where the season was short but I'm like this is the Miriam when she feels a hundred percent when she's not injured and when she's fired up this is how good of a rider she is she's such a skilled technical rider and the amazing thing about Miriam is she's always been so skilled technically but kind of struggled in pedaling and jumping and for the last few seasons alongside her injuries she's kind of worked really hard on pedaling getting power down and jumping and now she is she's like this 30-year-old all-round rider that's going to be pretty hard to beat when she has a good day. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing for her to push on, you know, in the years and the injuries. And, and if you think about one of her weaknesses being jumping, I mean, there's no getting around that. You've got to face that fear. And I think it's awesome to see our professionals. She, she works really hard off the bike um, in the gym. And has she got a... Uh, she's got a degree in something or at least studied um, some sort of movement and exercise stuff, right? Physiotherapist. Yeah, physio. yeah. <laughs> she gave me some advice about my busted ACL. Yeah, so she can self-diagnose uh, self and self-help yeah. self with her stuff. Oh, that's amazing. That's a good good field to go into with all the injuries she had. But you hit the nail on the yes, head. Yes, exactly. I mean, she was winning races at a young age, and she had some weak spots, but her shame, her injury, she had those shoulder issues for a while, the, the ankle that's still bothering her. Um, yeah, the ankle's I mean, gnarly. Her run was just so aggressive. It was amazing to watch. It was really exciting to see her pushing on the bike. 
fostered at all the splits. So, and you know what else? Good points with Cammy only being able to achieve fifth for the overall. I mean, it's incredible. I think someone like Greg, who will get to, he probably wishes the season was done, you know, to go and win Worlds and all that energy and work into that. But yes. with, with Miriam, it's like, she's kind of just getting going. She's happy. She's like, okay, cool. This is the confidence I need to end off the World Cup season. So that was yeah, incredible, incredible to see. And uh, I think her work ethic and stuff she does away from the bike, which none of us see, none of the fans see, I think, really is paying off here to get her back. Um, and standout rides for Hoffman, back from injury, the concussion she had at that first race. I mean, podium ride is pretty damn impressive, I must say. And she looked good on the bike as well. Yeah, I mean, she's not she's not far out from her um, broken collarbone. So being able to come back from that and ride so strong on a track like Lenzerheide was very impressive. And I think she felt a little... Um, not uneasy, but maybe lacking a bit of confidence at World Champs and just kind of getting back into it. It was her first race back, but we're we're seeing kind of the beginning of Nina coming back again, and I'm really excited to see what she does in snowshoe because we have another week and a half break, and I think she's just going to build from these two last races. Yeah, I mean, coming back, like you say, Worlds is never the place you want to come back to. Well, Worlds, number one, and then if it's Val de Sol, that's... Yes, uh, you know, exactly. Those are like the two worst races, I think, to come back to. So good for her oh, for, for, a collarbone for, too. for doing that. Yeah, from a collarbone, concussion at the first one. <laughs> Not a great season for her at all. But I mean, yeah, that'll be some huge confidence, slotting herself onto the podium on a tough track. You know, you've got to have precision. You've got to have it all, really, to do well on that track. And then, unfortunately, after talk about Cabaret, it looked like she'd kind of found her pace and her spot again after her horrendous injury that's really lingering. But it seemed like there was peddling in places that I think showed that she was kind of fighting for speed and she hadn't found her flow in that race run. You know, someone like Greg, when he puts pedals in, it's often in really good places. But I, I, I watched a couple riders, ladies and men, and I kind of, it looked like they hadn't found their flow and they weren't carrying enough speed and were forced to pedal. So it seemed like it just, she was kind of fighting it compared to her usual self. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, um, you said that this was the kind of track where you can't gain back speed. And we don't see the whole track on the cameras, but if you lose any speed on this track, there's, there's like... The pedaling is the only way to catch back up, but it's also doesn't gain you a whole lot on a track like this. It's so steep. There's hardly any pedaling on this track and you have to execute each corner and each, each section as precise as possible. Otherwise, you do lose speed. So once you kind of get behind, once your flow has kind of left you and gone ahead of you, you're behind and you have to constantly catch up. And I think... That's what we saw from a few riders and from Marin, unfortunately, is they just, the flow just got ahead of them and they were catching up the whole rest of the track. Yeah, no, great, great point. You're right at the top. You, if you stand yourself up in a corner or two, yeah, you're forced to pedal, but, you know, the the flow that you've lost is, is definitely gone. And Miriam jumps ahead in the overall, which was, you know, good to see for her. She's sitting at 810 and, and the next best rider being Cammy on 695. So 
100 points sounds like a lot, but in, in downhill racing, if you look at the difference between winning quali and race versus, say, Cami, who, you know, got fourth and then fifth, so a fifth overall, there's over 100 points just there. So, you know, one bad race at Snowshoe race one, we could have a really exciting race too. So, yeah, I guess for a rider, you better hope you like Snowshoe because, you know, both tracks are going to feel pretty similar there. So we've yeah. got it all coming down to the <laughs> wire. So, yeah, you better force yourself to like that track or hope that you do like that track. So that's the one negative of Snowshoe if you don't like the tracks. But really awesome that they've got two races coming up. So they've got a few days to reset, then fly over there and deal with a jet lag. So, yeah, I mean, you obviously got to go with the lady on form and the momentum sitting with Miriam. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, if anyone remembers Snowshoe from 2019, that track is next level. I mean, it is not the kind of track where you can be perfect the whole way down. And it's we're not going to see times like in Lenzhine. It's a very, very challenging track in Snowshoe. We don't know what the weather's going to do. Not only that, we have a double header. So the first race, you get points in quali and your race run. But the final race, you only get points in your race run. So all of those things mixed together, I think it's going to make for quite an intense last two rounds. Absolutely. And it can rain there on the east coast of America. I've ridden um, snowshoe in the in the wet and, uh, yeah, it can be pretty treacherous. You're going to have to, yeah, from what we saw, I mean, there was a lot of commitment and you got to, really be quite aggressive there. You can maybe make some small mistakes here and there, but yeah, it's a pretty flat out track. They've got a good mix. So that's going to be exciting. And speaking of exciting, wow, the men's race as well. <laughs> what a finish. The French have really just stomped the authority on that race, taking four of the top five podium spots and some more in the top 10. Yeah, I was yes. blown away. Um, you know, my good friend Miles, also a friend of the podcast, said, you know, after we saw Loris last year, his speed, he said, no, he's going to win 50% of the World Cup races this year. And I said, well, I agree, but also it's downhill racing and things can and will happen. So I guess yes. we were both right with that. But he's sneaking up on potentially, you know, winning 50% of the races, but he's just had some horrid luck. So he's not quite there in the overall, but... He's been the man of the moment and he's handing the pressure well, going out, doing well in quality and now having to be last man down. So we're starting at the race winner, but there's so many cool stories from the race. But um, yeah, I'm blown away at, at how these guys are handling, handing the pressure and the runs they're putting down. Well, yeah, Loris, especially, I mean, so much pressure from qualifying first in a field like that you already know how tight the times are because we already saw it in qualifying we saw it in time training so I don't think that he went to the top of the hill expecting I'm going to come down in first you know I just do my best race it could have been any of those top boys race um on Saturday and he just kind of perfected his run to come down in first, but only by the tiniest margin. It was a very, very surprising and intense race. Yeah, it was barely 0 0.2. So, I mean, yeah, 0 <laughs> 0.19, but I'll round it up. And that's that's on Loic, who, um, yeah, his run was awesome. Back to some of what we love and expect from Loic. 
But yeah, Loris I, was just, it was precision and it was attacking and, you know, where he needed to pump, he was pumping. It barely looked like he was trying. He's he's a great rider to watch, very good track for him because he is one of those guys that looks so smooth sometimes he's not trying, like how Josh Bryson used to look. Greg yes. rides similarly and Greg's won there twice. So, you know, but just to handle the pressure, like you say, you're going up, you're qualified fastest, you know you can do it, you know you have to have this clean run but he's done so well about for staying in the present and just delivering the run he wants to run you know yeah exactly and I think I mean yes Loris and Loic have pressure they have expectation Loic obviously always has high expectations on himself and puts pressure on himself and Loris qualifying first had that extra pressure like okay can I back this up but I also wonder at the same time is that they both don't, like, at Lenzerheide, neither of them would have been thinking about the overall. They didn't have to stress about it or worry about it. They didn't really get the result that they wanted at World Gym. So I wonder if they kind of had just enough of less pressure to be able to do a little bit better than the other riders in the top five who may have had a little more pressure than them. It's a it's a great point, Trace. I was I mean I was going to say someone like Greg versus Loris and Bruni. I mean Bruni had the injury, which we'll tattoo. But you're right. So they didn't quite get the results, so and they're now hungry. You know, they yes. they're very hungry. Someone like Greg. Exactly. I know he had injuries, and we'll get to. But for Greg to be able to back up what he's just done, the energy, the physicalness, just everything that goes into that World Champs, and then you know being able to win that. Normally, world champs end of the year. You can kind of go on holiday, and I'm sure he wishes that he could just celebrate <laughs> for the next few months. But he can't, you know, straight back to a race. I know he snuck off and went to Lake Como or Lake Garda or one of them, and that was good. But And then he's got to get refocused. But someone like Loris, he's hungry. He's like, okay, that didn't go that well, but let's forget about that. And he's motivated. And it takes a lot of hunger and guts to perform at this high level and to throw yourself down this hill you know you can get hurt someone like Brendan airlifted off you never want to see that it's so scary and it and it can mm -hmm. go wrong so quickly so yeah I think great point there those those top three on the leaderboard actually no top four top five I mean yep. they're all hungry okay let's not take anything away yeah. from someone like Danny who's just as hungry as them but if you look at that Peron, hungry to get back into racing. Tebow knows yeah, exactly. that he's got to put good racing in for the overall. Loic, hungry to put, you know, worlds behind him. And then Loris as well, knowing that he could have won it, but it just didn't mm -hmm. quite go his way. You know, that's a great point. Yeah, exactly. But jeez. So top four, we've got Tebow's run. That guy impresses me. We speak about pressure a lot, and that'll obviously come up all the time because the sport as you mentioned, all about how you deal with the mental. But you've been in a situation, right, middle of the season, now the talk of the overalls coming. Like, talk to me about that emotion. He's he's very yeah. calm about it. He has a plan, it seems. He said he didn't focus on Worlds, even though that was maybe not the greatest thing to do because it is a huge <laughs> race. But he, he just has his eyes set on the World Cup overall. But that brings more pressure. I mean, and so he should. He's done. He's had an absolutely amazing start of the season, and no matter what he's been through, he's overcame it to be able to be still leading the overall. But when it comes to world champs, when world champs is right 
in the middle of the season or or just a few races before the end of the season is extremely hard to you know world champs we all know you can you just put it all on the line because the only result that people remember or really want is a medal and if you're not going for the top three then why are you even there because you're not you're not gonna walk around saying I was top 30 at world champs you know you're there to win and world cups you're there to get results so if if you know that you can't give it all to win a race it's quite hard to I mean we saw his run at world champs it was it was a bit of a fail really because I think that you still need to have your mind switched on to a certain level to be able to race down a hill at speed but if he's only thinking about the overall he rode extremely smart in Lenza Hyde he didn't go for the win he rode smooth he didn't ride out of control and he got down the hill riding his best and he got an amazing result for it it, it wasn't first but he's keeping that overall on his back yeah he was i made some notes he was actually it was a pretty tidy run for him i know his um team is saying you know he's not as wild as everyone thinks but i mean he's shown <laughs> us he's pretty damn wild and some of the crashes he's yes had. but you can see focus on the overall kept good traction the whole way down good braking but it was a pretty tidy run for him i, I totally agree with you and yeah we sorted worlds he kind of rode tight or maybe he was just making sure he didn't get hurt but then he ended up crashing twice which is the irony of the whole thing but yeah I'm I'm impressed with the experience for such a youngster we spoke about it but before I think Nico Voyeurs is kind of in his corner so that's a nice guy to have a phone call with or share a ride with or however it works with them I mean he could definitely share a lot of wisdom for that yeah absolutely so that was very cool. I think disappointing. I just made a few notes here. Yeah, disappointing will be someone like Danny. He's done well there before. He's just trying to get that result and get his season really going. So sitting in sixth place is a pretty much a kick in the guts, considering he's 0.5 uh, away. And oh, Laurie Greenland yes. in front of him as well, former UK rider. Not former, but I think they've you know, a little bit of rivalry there, I'm sure. So uh, that one, that one all hurt. But Laurie Greenland inspiring right as well to try take it to some of the Frenchies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. He could be proud of being the first non-French rider. And thinking about that, because we had Greg winning at World Champs, I wonder if it's made. France and the French riders like we're gonna show you that we can do this and we can be at the top but Laurie as well he was hungry for the world champs he knew he could do it and he crashed in that race run which was a hot race run so I think he would have been quite as hungry as the top four riders and and really wanted to prove to himself and the rest of us that he could have a good result here in Lenzerheide. Yeah, ab absolutely. And then, well, man of the moment before this race shows you how quick it can turn highs and lows. And Greg Minard coming off, you know, which is just, I don't think it's really sunk in what he's been able to achieve and what it's going to do for the sport. Um, he's very humble about the, the tag, the GOAT. But I think when Volios is sharing and agreeing that he is the GOAT, I mean, that's an amazing to hear from, from Nico. But to bounce back and get refocused and motivated was always going to be a challenge. And, and it's, it's ironic because, Hey, he did so well as an old guy. Well, what, what, hap what often goes first with old guys, their backs. 
<laughs> the irony is, you know, uh, he's it probably takes more work to keep the body going. He's mentioned it. They got a great team there at the syndicate. Um, but who who knows? You know, it's just the the it just shows you in life and in the sport how quick it can change. Highest of highs to lowest of lows, battling through uh, a back injuries. I've raced through a back injury. It's it's got to be one of the worst things because just it's your connecting your core to your legs and your upper body. You just can't really do much when you've got yes. an issue like that. Yeah, it's terrible. Back injury. I don't know exactly what. Um, his back injury was, but apparently he just twisted um, on the bike the wrong way, and then it was it was gone from there. And I have rode with a back injury from Lenzerheide as well, actually. And it's you don't have any control over your back, and you're just in excruciating pain the whole way down because the back is is the part of your body that is like the um, the pivotal point. It's your hips. Like, so the pivotal point from your upper body to your lower body is right at your back. And it takes so much pressure from riding downhill with your back. I, I think that he did actually quite an amazing result considering the issue that he had with his back all week. Yeah, I mean, just a small niggle in your back is, is enough to throw you off. You can't support nicely with your legs. You also often... Um, trying to kind of save the back so you kind of ride tense and light on <laughs> yes, your feet. Yes, exactly. You don't want to over jump anything in case it oh, goes again. And it can. It's it, just excruciating. Yeah, you know, I tease that he's old and your back will go, but it can happen when you're young as well. So, yeah, unlucky for him. It wasn't a great run, he said either. Uh, the consummate, you know, he's just such a champion and he tried to put down a run. He said he made lots of mistakes as well. So, yeah, unlucky for him, but he is rolling around in that white jersey, so pretty pretty amazing <laughs> to see. Um, and then, you know, some standout rides. I think uh, it's nice to see Reese Wilson. So, obviously, last week was World Champs to give back the jersey. Not his best season, but, you know, racking up a top 10 there in eighth, that'll, that'll help his confidence and settle him. Dakota Norton as well, coming back from missing Maribor. Due to, due to COVID, and it seems like he actually did get COVID. It wasn't a sort of false positive. He says he has been struggling with breathing and stuff. No, yeah, he did get um, really quite sick, actually, having COVID during Maribor. So he said it was nice to be at home. Like, if you're going to be at home, you may as well stay home. But he, he actually has been quite unwell. And I've spoken to a few riders that have had COVID this season, and it's – uh, being in Lenzerheide, not many people know, but it is a little bit of altitude. So anyone who's been a little sick, like Troy being sick with um, a head cold over World Champs Week, coming to Lenzerheide, and then people like Dakota and a few other people that have had that flu kind of um, – some people have had COVID, some people it's just been the flu, so I don't want to confuse those two. But coming to Lenzerheide, high altitude, high intensity track, it is actually quite hard to breathe. Yeah, that wouldn't be great. Yeah. So he did mention it's getting better and, and it's cool to see him. Yeah, he's really a, a top, top rider and it's nice to see him up there. Troy, you mentioned him nursing a head cold or something, but your costly mistake or crash at the top, which was out of sight. He's lost huge points in the overall. He was fastest at the first two splits in, in quali and then flattered. So he seemed like he was riding confidently and and he voiced on, on social media. He felt felt good. So that's 
that's a tough one. Eh? How quick it can turn, you know, winning the first race, then having some issues as the season progresses. Yeah, I mean, I I did speak to Troy on Saturday night after the race because I kind of know what someone like Troy is going through that no one else realizes happens. He's homesick. He hasn't been home since May. So we've both been away for over four months now. And once you get to that point in the season, when you have a bad race as as someone who lives close to home or can go home, you go home, you refresh, you take the monkey off your back and you come back fresh. And we've seen Troy go home and come back absolutely fresh and smash it. And that's the races that are always at the start of the season or at the middle of the season after a big gap. But but Troy, because of COVID right now, he can't go home. He can't refresh. He hasn't recharged those batteries that you can only really get a charge from going home. And and it comes to racing at his top level. He's tired. That's a brilliant point, Trace. And I don't think a lot of people think about it or unless you're forced into it like you've been. And I can attest to that. Um, I think what Greg's done, you know, he's got his girlfriend over there. He's got more of a base in Andorra. Um, so he's missing home less. Uh, he's able to exactly. push through it more. But you're totally right with Troy. Look, great, great world's results. So he's able to still do it. But you're right. And I think sometimes in a normal season, his parents would come over as well. That's harder to do now with COVID. He's probably missing home. Australia's dealing with COVID in, in, in an interesting way, which is probably weighing <laughs> on him as well. And it yes. does wear you out. It does wear you out. Going home is, it, it's honestly such a reset. It's like, you know, as good as a holiday sometimes. You need a break. And getting home yes, just doesn't exactly. work with COVID at the moment, which is really tough. So that is a key one for him to manage is is just getting through the end of the season, but it's going to be tough for him. And I think the wind has kind of been, forced out of his sails if you look at the overall and and how he came into the season winning the first one and he has had the speed he's had the speed throughout the season definitely and sometimes more speed than he normally shows because you know he's been so consistent but it seems like he's making a conscious effort to to show that speed as well so yeah you're right and I think that is a factor um we don't always talk about what happens in the riders personal lives Mm -hmm. but that all as you look at a holistic view all of that contributes sometimes to the rider's energy, uh, motivation, mood on on race day. Yes, yes. Like you need to be at at your utmost best. You need to have your mental energy, you know, full. And um, coming from world champs, that diminishes some of that energy for most of the riders. But a lot of the riders are at home now. So so Troy is is kind of recharging his batteries somewhere in Europe or on his way over to Washington. But the other riders are kind of going home to recharge once more. And I think it really, really does, at the end of the day, just take a little bit of that mental energy that you could be using for your race run. It just makes you a little tired. Yeah, even two days at home before you fly to Washington is is awesome. You see your loved ones or you're just, you know, the, the feeling you have when you're home. And I think it's always been a, a factor in why it's easier for, say, a European to race longer. He goes home sometimes in between the races. And someone like Greg, it's been impressive that he can make it work. And that burnt me out. That probably burned you out um, yes, as well. Yes, exactly. Someone like 
Nathan Rennie. I know it burnt him out. He did two yes. 10, 10, 11 great years on the circuit, but you could see at the end of it, where does he go recharge his batteries? Well, sometimes you go and have a few cheeky drinks to to recharge <laughs> them, and then it turns to too many more. And and uh, so I guess the energy it takes, like when you're home, you have your schedule and you, you have your gym, and you have all that stuff, and you and you have reasons to not go out. You know, you it's easier for you to just stay uh, dedicated. I found when I was on the road, sometimes I'd be like, okay, well I'm on the road, I'm a bit homesick. Okay, I'll go meet, you know, Brendan's mates at the pub, mm. you know. But when I was home, that there was a no pub rule in the season. Because everyone yeah. knew that, so no one invited me. I just stayed home. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, it, and Troy's not that kind of guy. I'm just speaking that it no, really is totally a big factor on, on how you reset and get re-energized. And, and hopefully he can and just realize, okay, look, the middle of the season didn't go his way. Hopefully he can end on a high in uh, snowshoe. I mean, he's not um, he's not bad at it and you don't see it in him. You don't see that he's tired and homesick and you don't see it weighing on him. But as you and I know from experience and from speaking to Troy, it, it like when, when I used to go home in the middle of the season, it was almost like you all this weight that you've been carrying from the season in this huge backpack mm-hmm. or duffel bag, you, you could drop it off at home. Yeah, nice. And, and yeah, true. Like, if you believe in the mental stuff, as I really strongly do, you you drop that weight off at home, and that's where the recharge comes in because you carry so much around with you from the season. You need a place to drop it off, and if you don't, if you can't really drop it off while you're traveling, you're always kind of every day you're adding something to your mind. When you go home, that's that's kind of like your free place and the place where you drop off that extra baggage. You recharge with family and friends and you come back and you're absolutely excited to be at the race and you can give everything to that race run. Yeah, and, and that's what <clears throat> someone like Danny, he's got the family with him. So he can still recharge. They got the motor home and, and he has a different way of doing it. But even that, I think sometimes you sleep in your own bed there's something so simple as sleeping in your own bed. <laughs> uh, like you say, it's a it's a great analogy, dropping your your baggage at home. But you literally do. You take that bag that you've been traveling <laughs> for four months. You take it home. And even simple as like repacking it with different clothes. Because you oh, can only take so much. So it's, it's, yeah. it's those small things and it all, all adds up. But I'm just cruising through the results. I think Remy Teron <laughs> had a... Had a great race. It's nice to see him. You know, he is known for being that steep technical rider and riding these crazy lines, but he rode a great race and he's really coming coming into his own on all sorts of tracks. Yeah, you literally took the words out of my mouth. Coming into his own and he's become a really all-round rider and since becoming a father, he's really spreading his wings on the bike as well. So that's <laughs> awesome to see. Yeah, and couldn't, there couldn't be a nicer guy on the circuit. It's yeah, it's crazy. But that's the other Frenchman in the top 10. Finn Isles, who had to sit out of Maribor due to that horrendous crash he had at home, didn't even know, and he had a small fracture in his hand. Um, he's yes. bouncing back nice, so it's pretty good ride to slot into 10th there. Matt well, Walker, I think... Uh, sorry, if you, we can, did you sorry. have something on yeah, Finn? I, yeah, I, I did want to um, actually speak about two riders in particular that I noticed huge mistakes in is um, Bernard Kerr 
and um, Finn Isles both lost lost kind of their positions, let's say, in that last chicane. Let's yes, talk about yes. that. That was a key factor to the race. Great point. Go for it, Trace. Yes. I mean, so so what actually happened with that chicane? I saw a lot of a few people on the internet were kind of questioning the taping, etc. But um the track was so fast this year coming into that last Red Bull drop that that people were landing flat. They were landing too fast. So it was actually too dangerous um, to keep the tape how it was. So they taped the chicane tighter so that people um, slowed down enough not to kind of jump into the finish arena off that last rebel jump. But it made the last corner very, very technical because your timing had to be absolutely on point. And you know as much as I do how fatigued you are at the end of the run and then to be able to get around this flat chicane turn and it caught some people out. Yeah, it, it, it's a great point. And I, and I thought that, that Loris did it so well and even Loic mentioned when he saw Loris get through the chicane, he was like, yeah, I've... I've <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's probably me losing the race <laughs> just in the last chicane. Look, there's a whole three minutes yeah. of track. You could argue that yeah, there are other ways to lose or win the race. But it was such an art to get through there fast. An art, perfect. It was you an art. It. it was an art. Like we saw with Finn. So he's aggressive. He's breaking a little bit later. He's pushed wide on the first one and then obviously to get around the second one. So he's lost so yeah. much momentum to the finish. You almost want to break. A little bit more than you, you need a turn. want to, yeah. but um, that's obviously tough when you're in a race run. You're trying to push to the very edge and you sometimes miss that breaking point as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, seeing Loic and Loris, Loic did it really great as well. So what we saw Finn and Bernard do is they come into the chicane. They broke too late. So they were late for the chicane. They... Um, their wheel flicked left and then they had to flick it quickly to the right but at speed you just absolutely drifting and we saw Finn have to pedal out of that kind of use pedal power to bring his bike back up straight after losing it in the turn but what we saw Loris and Loic do is they turned early which was super interesting so they broke early they turned early and they pedaled from almost before the pole and made it a straight turn and knew that they could use pedal power to kind of catch them up what they lost in braking early, which I found very, very impressive. Yeah, it's almost you feel in your head you've got to go slow to go fast. So they've literally set up wide braking probably earlier than you would want to in a race run. But because of that, like you said, they've straightened the chicane and then they've got on the forward momentum and they're driving forward Yeah. at the same time that Finn's still drifting. I mean, that's, you exactly. know, there's a couple bike lengths you can gain just in, and that's the French precision. They really are. <laughs> they've been brought up to, to ride precise. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, that was just such an interesting part of the track to watch for me, um, just watching the way that people rode that last chicane. And I feel like I've learned how to be a better rider thanks to watching that on the weekend. Well, I think uh, any of the <laughs> listeners, if they're aspiring riders or just wanting to improve, you can take so many things away and maybe that's the nugget you can take away is, Really be conscious of braking even earlier than you think because your drive out of turns 
is, is really a, a key factor. How about, we didn't speak about him much, we just glanced over him, but Amory, yep. insane pace for his second race back, coming back to Worlds, Valdesol, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to do that myself, but the shorter track maybe helped uh, that he needed a little less fitness needed for him. He's one year in 2019, so he's got good feelings with the track. And he actually, from what I gathered, made a little mistake before the last tabletop and clipped his pedal, maybe lost a bit of time, but he, he managed it pretty well. But I think that's a pretty inspiring ride as well. Yeah, I mean, Armory is just, like, what he's done in the past season is just just amazing to me, and I think he's an unbelievable rider. Um, in Valdesol, it was actually really on the limit of health-wise whether he should have rode or not, and he had to mm. get a doctor's, doctor's approval that week to say, yes, you actually are safe to race so I don't think that um the Valdesol track the fact that it was world champs the fact that he was racing for his country were the only things on his mind that weekend he had to think about his health and his well-being to even know if he was like physically allowed to race without being in danger to himself so Valdesol was very impressive and then coming back to Lenzerheide I just don't understand what goes on in his mind to me he's been one of the most amazing riders that I've seen is Armory and um I think that he's very very impressive because he is not riding at 100% right now no and you would think a lot of riders are just sometimes you're honest enough with yourself if you know you've been out and your health is is an issue like how do you have that much confidence to to push you're like okay well I'm just gonna ride how I ride knowing that you haven't been on the downhill bike for weeks. It's a pretty impressive, impressive feat. Yeah. So that just shows you his, his speed and his talent level is, is, yo, oh, it's crazy, you know, cause that's not a hundred percent Umri. It's not physically as well no. as um, time on the bike. So that was pretty amazing to see. And also, yeah, he came back earlier than a lot of the doctors said in the beginning. I think obviously they would potentially give him a conservative recovery program and, his professionalism, his diet and his work ethic and his fitness from before the crash really helped him get back early. So that was a great ride to see from from Amri there. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. One thing with injuries, it's not always what you do after the injury. It's, it's what work you've done before the injury that actually makes you bounce back quicker. So we know that he's a hard worker. He trains hard. He works hard. He spends a lot of the off-season testing. And, and because of that work that he's put in in months and years before, he's actually been able to bounce back sooner than anyone thought, which is very, very impressive. And, and equally impressive, which we haven't mentioned, we just mentioned how good his run was, but, I mean, Loic's mm -hmm. nursing that injury from the world's crash, and he was in hospital, plus doing a lot of physios. So it's insane considering he's not 100% either. And he was, if you've been in hospital at the beginning of the week, that's not normally how you build confidence sitting in a hospital bed <laughs> trying to get recovered from an injury. But he, he was smart, and he clearly built up speed and knew that he's going to feel the best he's going to feel on race day and he needs to be patient till race day and then he put down that run. Yeah, I mean, in his um, post-race interview, he said that he did not rest all week. He, um, If he wasn't doing physio, he was getting a massage. If he wasn't getting a massage, he was spinning. If he wasn't spinning, he was stretching. If he wasn't stretching, he was consulting with doctors 
physios. So his focus as well wasn't wasn't on lens height. It was completely on let's get my injury or this this I don't know exactly what it is. I know he has some sort of hematoma or or consistent bleeding is in his leg, but I don't want to speak out of tongue because I don't know exactly. But I know that his goal from hospital to race day was I want to be able to race fast race day. That's the goal. And he said he did not have a, a moment to rest that he wasn't working on that leg. And so it just shows hard work pays off. And these riders work so unbelievably hard. And that's why they get the results they do. Yeah. And another one, I think it also takes the expectations out the window. It just blows it out the window. I mean, if you're dealing with that injury and, and sometimes, you know, beware the injured rider beware the injured sportsman because <laughs> he's not he's not thinking what result he can get he's trying to get his body right takes away maybe the distractions of okay i need a podium i need to do this and it's like okay well i don't know what i'm gonna get i meant to not even be at the start line so kind of takes away the pressure sometimes for Lloyd. so that was maybe also a, a bonus not to say you want to come in injured or deal with any of that yeah definitely not Very but sometimes lifts the pressure a little bit maybe just what he needed after Worlds and after the crash. So, yeah, that was a definitely inspired ride. Um, shout out to yeah. poor Brendan, you know, oh trying to get back <gasps> into his World Cup racing, and that's just a real horrible to see. But he seems in good spirits. I've been texting back and forth. Um, yeah. That was horrible. So wish him recovery. Hopefully, if he's wanting to go to Rampage, he can <laughs> – get recovered well, or maybe I'm hoping he doesn't get recovered so he can't go. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, also poor poor Luca. Luca Shaw. Oh. Huge crash. Huge Horrible. You crash. just can't you just can't catch a break, you know. Awful. And the most unbelievable part about that key section was that we saw so many people ride on the limit down there and and get away with it. And Luca just happened to be the unlucky one who didn't. Yeah. No, it happens this sport. <laughs> I think me and you are both just happy happy to be talking about it and not forced know, to absolutely. do it, right? Just just watching you like, gosh, hey mate, I've been there, like you think that you're fine, and then some something blind just took his wheel out from under him. And he was just the way that he tumbled his back and shoulder over that disgusting route would have been so unbelievably painful. Yeah, and I'm seeing more of the guys have sort of checks, chest protectors, and I know some of the races you're forced to ride elbow pads, etc. But it's nice to see because I know, I remember taking some of that stuff off for the race runs, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad to see the guys are still keeping. But I, I I I'm hearing that you probably miss it when you see the ladies on the podium, but then if you see a crash like Luca or mm. dealing with a pressure, you're like, okay, it's not so bad yet in the commentary booth. Yeah, I mean, you know, the weirdest thing, Andrew, is that I thought I would miss racing and the podium and things like that. But I've realized since since being here and doing it, the thing I miss the most is looking at the results page and looking at my splits. I'm so sad not to see my name on the results and be able to look at what splits I got today, like time training, qualifying and race day. I've that is the thing I've been missing the most is the data. The data and what? So then you process the data and you make a plan to get better. What is that? You know, what comes with processing the data? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I look at the sheet now because I want to see other people's data, but I miss reading my name, reading um, what I got in the speed trap. Because once you look at your splits from time training, you make a plan for qualifying. Once you look at your splits from qualifying, then you make your race day plan. And I really miss that process. Mm, I, I miss the single-minded focus and just having this one goal, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And after racing, you kind of <laughs> go in a few different directions and you've got to reinvent yourself and, um, you, you know, lose a bit of your identity, even though that's not true. Yeah. You shouldn't identify I, um, just with a racer, but <laughs> I miss the single minded focus, you know, and just every day I wake up and I knew what I was meant to do. And now yeah, I kind of decide for myself. Being, um, I'm the assistant team manager with Couscous for the, the UR team now. And I actually miss being able to wake up and go to bed whenever I want. But now I have to work all the time. <laughs> and I have to think about everyone else. I can't just go to bed when I'm tired. I have to go to bed when the work is done. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great lifestyle. And, and that's why it's tough to walk away and decide it's time. And uh, I, I uh, wish you all the luck. I think we're going to have many more conversations. But talk yeah. a little bit before we let you go. And you've been great with your time. And your insight's been amazing. So unfortunately you. for you... I'm going to lean on you again and again here and there. So. <laughs> Fair but, enough. <laughs> but you've put yourself in the ring. You're in the broadcast booth alongside Rob. Um, talk to me a little bit about that or share with the listener a little bit what goes on or how it's been for you because we just see you on screen and it's been great. Yep. And I think you're doing an awesome job. Um, Thank but you. talk a little bit about that. Gosh, okay. Well, Let's see. Well, I can, I'll talk a little bit about Rob Warner because I know everybody knows Rob, loud, crazy, unbelievable at his job. But something that I've learned um, from working with him that is he is one of the most intelligent, um, hardworking people that I've ever met. He, he, you'll never see him at a meeting without his little iPad and his pen. And he's so curious about each rider and he cares so much about his job and about being good at his job that um for example the other day lens a high day I, I was in the in the commentary booth like man I'm a bit nervous today because I get a little bit nervous for the race it's exciting and then mm. I have Rob yell over my shoulder I'm nervous too you know it is crazy boys and it's just like gosh you've done it for so long you're such a superstar and you're so unbelievably um, prepared and researched for your job and you're nervous too I just think it's so nice that someone like Rob Warner still gets nervous for something that he's so unbelievably good at. But I mean, is that not if I asked you your last year of racing, you were <laughs> nervous in the gate? Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's I never thought feeling. Yeah, I you just don't think about it from from someone that you kind of look up to or that you've seen as 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 good at their job. You just don't think about getting nervous for mm. it. But no, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's funny. I hung, we hung out with him in Innsbruck a lot and he joined us in the booth and, and commentated alongside him. It was super awesome. But yeah, it's, it's a, he's super prepared and, and I'm sure yeah. you are as well. And you'll learn what information that you need and don't need. And sometimes exactly. you over-prepare because you're so nervous. <laughs> exactly. And then you just got to call the screen, don't you? So commentary, but oh. it, you get those sort of race jitters when the, I, I'm okay. 
I get the race jitters. So do you, when they say, okay, yeah. okay we're going live in 30 seconds, 10 <gasps> seconds. And you're like, whoa, what am I going to say? And it, it clearly you're doing a great job. It comes naturally, <sighs> but it's quite nerve wracking. Eh? Yeah. I mean, it's extremely nerve wracking doing the commentary. And the, the great thing is that Rob carries me when, when he sees that I'm like, frozen or stalled or don't know what to say but one nerve-wracking thing this week was actually I made it on the post show for the men's for the first time since I started this job um me and Elliot have been working on this analysis tool so we'll we'll grab a clip so from the race or from practice and we will you know kind of draw on it analyze it write a script for it and then um yeah, they wanted me to do it on the post-show live and I was so nervous because, one, they had me analysing these top writers in the men's field and, two, I was going on the men's show. Three, I had to read out this script that I wrote in 15 minutes and show this little video that I still, like, don't understand the software I'm using and um, I was extremely nervous for that. I was shaking. I think you did a good job. I, I, I noticed that and that's why I messaged. I said, you know what? I think I think you'll help do the men as well since you analyze them and, and you've got every right to. I think uh, just keep trusting yourself. It's It's been so good. It's nice to get some insight and you've been generous with your time. And, Thank you. Uh, we'll, I appreciate we'll that. We'll take this offline and share some text and snowshoe and, and you can give us some info for the next one. But Tracy, thanks so much. Keep doing what you're doing. It's been awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Thanks again to Tracy for hopping on a call and doing an awesome job out there on the broadcasting as well as with this podcast. Hope you enjoyed this one. This was Moving the Needle podcast. If you enjoyed it, share it with a friend. Make sure you subscribe or leave me a review. Also, I read all those direct messages. It's awesome getting those. Again, this was the Crank Brothers Race Review with me, Andrew Nietling, and I team up with a co-host, try bringing you a load of different guys. So, Crank Brothers is synonymous with DH Racing. This year, they celebrated 11 years in a row, winning the Elite World Champs title with the Mallet DH pedal. They didn't want to stop there. They determined to improve the shoe and pedal interface. They went on and they'd spent the last two years developing a shoe. I love the shoes. Hey, don't take my word for it. What about World Cup riders like Lucas Schur, Bernard Kerr, Angle Suarez, former World Champs, Cami Blanche, and Osana Callahan? There are a host of riders out there jumping on the shoes. Maybe you should do the same. Guys, thanks so much for supporting the show. I really do appreciate it. And like I said, you maybe enjoy more of an interview style. Make sure you go back in the archives, get a look at what I've been up to. 